0: Okay. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. very warm welcome. If you've got a Bible, could you go to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1. We will be reading from that uh, in just a moment. We have started a new series on the gospel of Mark, going through Mark's um, gospel. We called it all about Jesus because that is going to be our focus, that's what we're going to look at, and we're going to go through it methodically, bit by bit, till we've covered all 16 chapters. We only started a few weeks ago, so we're still early days, we're in uh, chapter one, and we hope that through this process that you will grow, you will learn, you will learn more about Jesus, and you will become more like Jesus. That's the goal, that's the hope as we study God's word uh, together. We've had a couple of weeks the first week we looked at uh, verse 1. If you're in Mark chapter 1, you look at verse 1. That was effectively serves from Mark as the title of his gospel, what this gospel is about. And we found that this gospel is all about Jesus. We find out he's the best news ever. He's the long awaited king, and he is God come to earth to be with his people. Then we went to the second week where we looked at the preparation for Jesus and the preparation of Jesus. And so before Jesus came, there was all the preparation that God had put in place, particularly uh, in the Old Testament, we see the prophetic words coming through the prophets there saying that one would come, and then we find Jesus himself coming onto the scene as that one, and we found the theme that ran through him was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is God. He was there through through all that, through John's ministry, um, through Jesus coming and filling Jesus, and then even leading Jesus when he came uh, to his trials in the wilderness. If you've missed either of those two, please catch up online. They're available for you. We've recommended a few books, um, which were on the mail out. If you want to follow the links, that will help you. Um, and there's also um, some videos, Bible Project videos we put out, which are well worth watching, which are just visual videos. Um, short visual um, sort of outlines of the Gospel of Mark, and they're really helpful just to kind of get your head around what it is and where we're going. So that's what we've done so far. Now today, we're going to look at the passage. We're going to read the passage together. It's actually a little bit shorter this week, which is great. It's going to appear on the screen behind me, and we're going to have read it all out loud together because it's good to read God's Word. So, everyone, eyes on the screen. One, two, three. Let's start reading. Go. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay, oops, my bad, my bad. Okay, big idea today, we are to preach the kingdom and a response is required. We are to preach the kingdom and a response is required. Two things from this passage we're going to look at. We're going to look at the message and the means of Jesus. The message of Jesus and then the means by which that message will then be um, brought out into the world, so the message of the means. The first one, the message of Jesus. It says, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled; the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." The first of all, the context. It says, now after John was arrested. We've heard about John in our last section. Just go back a few verses. A little bit about John. He was uh, a mighty preacher. Um, and he proclaimed um, the good news that the one was coming, and he told people to repent, and we heard all about that, and he got a lot of success, a lot of traction. People came out and saw him, but his ministry was focused directly on the one who would come, who Mark introduces as Jesus. So John was all about Jesus, and he proclaimed him as the Messiah and the Christ. And at this point, John now leaves the scene. He came in, he was very brief. We're going to pick him up in chapter 6, make a note Chapter 6, we're going to come back and find out what happens with John, but we get a hint. It says he was arrested. Okay, the language there used is handed over, which, if you've read that gospel as a whole or know the story of Jesus, that's the same language used to describe what happens to Jesus at the end of his life with his death on the cross. And so, what we've got here, Mark is dropping a hint for us at the beginning. With what's happened with John saying he's been arrested is an ominous note. You know when you get in those movies when everything's fine, and it suddenly goes. Duh-nuh. You know, so, you know something's going to go down, and it's probably not good. That's what it is, and it's like that here. We have got this note: John has been handed over; he's been put in prison. And John is the forerunner to Jesus. We've seen that already in Mark. He was the one who came proclaimed Jesus is coming. And what Mark is laying the groundwork for, even though he was the forerunner of Jesus, he's going to share the same fate as Jesus. So John is the forerunner, so he's going to end up just like Jesus, which gives you a clue of where this is heading for John, that we're going to pick up hand in hand. And Mark is laying down one of his themes that runs through the gospel, that when you proclaim the good news, suffering and adversity accompany it suffering and adversity. And we've already talked about that, that this is one of the things that's come through. Jesus is a suffering servant, but John, as one of his followers, will also be a servant who suffers. But it's moved on. Now, we'll come back to John later. The focus is squarely on Galilee. So now we've got the method. What is Jesus' method? Well, he comes into Galilee. Galilee was a northern area of Israel between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, and it was not a significant area it wasn't uh, a place of great uh, wealth or great political importance, but it was where Jesus' hometown was, Nazareth, and it would have been a place that Jesus with, uh, was very familiar with where he had grown up. And he says he came proclaiming. This is the same language that was used about John. So they're doing the same kind of thing. They are proclaiming a message, which means it's a verbal message. It is a spoken message that means to herald, to proclaim loudly, and publicly, so Jesus now come, and he is proclaiming a message, and he is upfront and clear about it, and the message he's proclaiming says it's a gospel. We looked at this last time. Gospel means good news, but when Mark talks about it, he doesn't talk about it as one un- among many good news is, there's lots of good news. This is the singular good news, the gospel. There is no other compared to this. And it is not just any good news, it says he is the good news of God. So this is God's news to his people, and it is God's good news to his people. So Jesus is proclaiming the good news of God. God, John had already shown up and said, actually, there's good news coming, and it's Jesus. And Jesus is saying, there is good news, and he is the embodiment of that. Because God, as Christ Messiah, has come to his people. And that is what's going to happen now. So Jesus comes... Proclaiming this good news. So, what's the content of that good news? Well, there's a little bit of a of a of a a kind of a snippet that Mark puts in there in all his brevity of what is the context of his message. So, Jesus comes. He is proclaiming. What's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming good news. Well, what is the good news, Jesus? He says a couple of things. He first of all he says the timing is fulfilled. What that means is there is a definitive moment in history where God is working, and that moment is now. If you go back into your uh, old Testament which his original hearers would have been steeped in the New Testament, they would have known there was a promise that there was, God was going to send someone. Someone was coming, a greater king than David, someone wiser than Solomon, a better leader than Moses. Someone's coming. And Jesus is saying the time's now. That time that you've been longing for is being fulfilled, a critical a moment. And, and Jesus has come as the answer to that. And he says, so the timing is now, the subject is the kingdom of God. Throughout the Old Testament, there was this idea um, that God's kingdom would be where he ruled and reigned. And it would be originally outworked uh, through Israel as his nation, his chosen people, and there would be God's kingdom there because they would be under God's rule. They would have the temple with God's presence, they'd have leaders who are. Appointed by God, who would follow God and obey His law and teach the people, all those things that were happening. But when Jesus talks about God's kingdom now, it's changing in dynamic. Rather than being a place like the United Kingdom, which is a place on a map that you can see and you know whether you're in or you're out of it, you can leave because you go to the airport, take your passport, they fly you somewhere, you're no longer in the United Kingdom, you're in another nation very clear. The way John, uh, G- sorry, Mark talks about it and the way it comes out in the Gospels and through then the, out the New Testament is God's kingdom is where he's ruling and reigning. And so if someone is submitted to God's rule, God's reign, wherever they may be, they are, they are part of the kingdom of God. That is what is happening there. And there is some interesting things about it. Mark talks about it as a mystery, we find that in Mark chapter four. It's spoken about in parables. We also look at that when we get to Mark chapter four. It's currently hidden in the time of Jesus, but it's going to be future it's going to be revealed. There's going to be a coming, a breaking in, a fullness of it that will come. We see that in Mark chapter nine, and it's fine in Mark chapter ten that those who are confident, those who are wealthy, those who think they've got it all sorted out, rarely find it. It's for the poor, the broken, the marginalised, even the young know the kingdom of God. And people are called to make a choice about this kingdom. God's kingdom has come. You need to make a response. And what is the response? Jesus says you are to repent and believe. Repent and believe. The time's now. Kingdom of God is here. Your response is to repent and believe. Repent means to turn Turn away from something. Belief is to put your faith and trust in Him. So, there are two two things that are one action. In essence, you turn away from something, you turn towards something, put your faith and trust in that. And Jesus is the representative of that. He is the sum total of that. You are to turn away from living your own way and turn completely towards Jesus. And the language used here is a language of commitment, it's not a language of just a one off, I'll make a choice. It's of a total devotion. When we repent from something, we turn away from it, we leave it behind, we believe, we trust, we put our full hope and our faith in something, and then we keep doing it. We keep following it. And so Jesus is demanding a response in his message, saying, you are to turn away from your old way of life, and you are to put your faith and trust in me, which is interesting, the same message that John has just been preaching. John did it slightly different because he said, turn away from your sin, put your faith and trust in the one who's coming. Jesus then comes along and says, turn away from your sin, put your faith and trust in me, because I'm the one John was talking about. I'm the one that he was pointing to. I am the representation of what God is doing. And so that is the message of Jesus. That is what he's bringing um, to the people, to the world there. And so we have God's sovereign plan being worked out. We have the kingdom of God breaking in with Jesus. We're going to look at more of what that looks like next week. And we also have a human response is that you are to repent and believe and you are to trust in him. So that's the message of Jesus. Let's move on to the means of Jesus. How is he going to go about moving this forward? He's proclaiming a message, but what does that look like as it's worked out? We have the next section here. Starting at verse 16, which is passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so we're in the same sort of area as the verses before. The Sea of Galilee is a large inland lake. Uh, It tells me it's 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. So it's pretty big. And it was key to the local economy. It turns up in many of uh, the stories we find in the Gospels. Um, the lake features because things happen in and around it. Um, fishing was a huge part of the local economy. It would have been one of the, the staple diet they eat. It wouldn't have been meat. It would have been fish. That's one of the primary things they would have eaten there because there were uh, lots of fish caught in the lake. Even some of them were considered a delicacy and actually transported to other parts of the Roman Empire. Sea uh, fish from the Sea of Galilee, and so that was a huge part of the kind of the culture um, was around. And so Jesus has come. He has proclaimed this kingdom. He has Given earth-shattering news. If we go back to verse one, we said this is like the biggest news mark saying, saying, like on the power of creation that Jesus has come. He's out, he's proclaimed his message. And what's the first thing he does? What's his first act? It's, it's significant what his first act was. I'm gonna get a bit political, but I'm not being political. We got a new prime minister recently, didn't we? Yeah, good. Just checking you're following the news, it was pretty significant. And what was the first act? It was to deal with the crisis with the energy. I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's what she said. She said I've, got to, I've got to do something. And that kind of sets the tone for what come. And they're still talking about it. Some people like it. Some people don't. Da, 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 da. That's always the way. But that first decision, that first act of her role as new prime minister is sort of set here. What's Jesus' first act? He's come. He's proclaimed. I'm here. John's baptizing. Been in the wilderness. I've done it. of the spirit. I read a guy. I've got a message. What does he do? Something spectacular. How about a miracle? That will get someone's attention. Let's just do something brilliant. No. He calls some dudes who are working in their fishing nets. Nothing glamorous. Nothing cool. He gets two sets of brothers who are just working away. And he got Simon and Andrew. Simon is the one who's known as Peter. Jesus changed his name. So that's Peter and Andrew and James and John. And so the first thing Jesus does is he calls people to himself. His first act of his kingdom message, first demonstration of what this is going to look like is calling men to himself. And there are three aspects of this call I just want to drill down into to kind of underline what this is about. Jesus called these guys. He's walking along the sea and he calls them to himself. And what's the first thing he does? Well, the first thing about the call is it's all about a person. It's all about Jesus. What did he say? Come, follow me. Verse 17. Now, this is different from the usual rabbi-student relationship that you would have found in this time, the ancient Near East. What would normally happen was a student would go to a rabbi and say, teach me, and once he'd learned from him, he would then move on maybe and find another rabbi. This is not the way it works. And that rabbi would have basically taught the student to follow the Torah, the law. Jesus flips it all on his head and says, no, no, you don't come and find me. I come and find you, and you are to follow me. You are follow to follow me. Jesus is the model that these men are to follow. He is the one they are to be with. And interestingly, what Jesus says there's no supporting evidence. Jesus doesn't say, come follow me, pow, bread. You know, look how important I am. Let me give you a lesson of how, so, how smart I am. Let me show you my, my Instagram feed, Pew! 10 million followers. Look at that. No, he just says, come follow me. That's it. Come follow me. He doesn't have to prove himself. He just is. Many people respond say, I'll follow Jesus if. If he heals me, provides me with a job, spouse, children, whatever. Good experience. Ends my suffering. Did I? Then I'll follow Jesus. No. Jesus just says, come, follow me and I think there's a full stop. That's it. That's all they are asked to do. And interesting, the, the, the other thing is the fishermen aren't required to do anything. Jesus says, come follow me when you've sorted your life out, when you've done this, when you that. He doesn't. He just says, come follow me. And what's more, he calls them by name. He knew them. You, come follow me. He comes and finds them. They were not looking for him. Jesus came and found them. Jesus came and found them. It's all about him. It's all about coming to know him. It's all about being with him. Second thing about the call is it's a call to service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus says, first of all, I will make you. He's the one who empowers, he's the one who shapes, he's the one who gifts, he's the one who's going to do it. It's not about human effort, it's not about you getting smarter, me getting better. He's the one who calls, he's the one who equips for the tasks. And it's a long, slow process, it's, I will make you become, some translations say, show you how to be fishers of men. In the 21st century, when do we want everything? Now! now. If not sooner, yes, that's fine. Right. Do I want it now? Before I even thought about it, I just want it. Do you remember the days when, before you could go on the internet, you had to wait for the noise—that and you go and make a drink while the 56k modem was dialing up. That was patience, wasn't it? Now everything's just. Speed broadband, and they just want to make it faster and faster and faster. No, following Jesus is a long, slow process of service, and it's about the service is about telling others that I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus using what they did normally, which was they were fishermen, and he's saying, Actually, I'll make you fishers of men using that picture. You're to tell others the good news, that's what you're to do. So, it's a life of service. Following Jesus is a life of service of training, of the long obedience in the same direction. And what I love is what it says twice in verses 18 to 20. What is the response of the brothers? Immediately, it says, they left and followed. It was total obedience. I pray for it for my children. <laughs> Go and clean your teeth. Immediately, immediately. They stopped what they were doing, went upstairs. No. But these guys, when the Lord called, they immediately obeyed. They immediately obeyed. Which brings on to the second thing it is a life of sacrifice. Because what did it say they did? It says they obeyed and they left what? Their nets and their father. Following Jesus is costly. And they left their nets and their father behind. The nets represented their jobs, I guess, their wealth, their income, the security that would come with that, housing, food. There was that sort of dynamic. And the father represented family attachments. Now, what Jesus isn't saying is that to follow me, you have to drop all them and not have anything to do with them. What he's saying is that he comes first, he's the priority. Because we know ultimately he's the one who gives you all those things anyway. They're all his, and we have to acknowledge that they've come from him. But he's saying, put it in the right order. And so following Jesus means putting him above everything else that you might have. And this is a theme that comes up again and again as we go through Mark's gospel. Last thing on the call. It says, uh, we've had a call to one a person, we've had a call to sacrifice and suffering, and then... Final one is a call to fellowship with Jesus and others. Jesus called these men into a relationship with him, but also to with each other. Jesus calls us to a relationship with him, but also to with other followers of him. Following Jesus has never ever been a solo endeavor. It's not something that you do on your own, which is really tough in our individualistic. Western thinking. It's all about me and what I can do and how I develop and, and, and my, my gift in my Everything is mine rather than a community dynamic. And Jesus calls these guys into a community with him. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first he called are two sets of brothers. There's even a hint there. He could have, full, he could have just picked four guys. They had no relationship with each other, but he picked two sets of brothers and saying, actually, you're coming into a fellowship with me and also one another. What we have here are the seeds of what we call the church. Church is God's family, his people together. And if we roll through the rest of our New Testament, we see that actually the church is the family of God. It is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It's all these things that show our connectedness to one another. And that family dynamic, that relational dynamic, is right there at the beginning in Jesus' initial calling to his followers. And these four will form what we now and then know as the 12 disciples, which are part of just the group that then formed the early church, and so on and so forth, go through the book of Acts. It's all history. So Jesus, when he's calling people, he's calling them to a personal relationship with him, He's called into a life of service and sacrifice that he actually will model. Jesus is our ultimate model of that. And he's also causing us to prioritize him over old things on earth and also into relationship with one another as we grow as a connection, as a family. As believers of Jesus, we are all to be part of something bigger than just us, the church. So how do we respond to this? I've got a few questions to ask. Think about and then we'll worship and pray to finish. First one, have you responded to Jesus? Have you responded to Jesus? The message of Jesus was the kingdom of time is now, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe the good news. The means was to call others who would then continue on the message. Guess what? I'm one of them. My job is to continue proclaiming the message. So's yours if you're a follower of Jesus. And, we are, and this is what I'm doing now. I'm proclaiming the message. You are to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Him. Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sin, rose bodily from death, ascended to heaven, ruling and reigning. There will one day return to judge the living and the dead, all mankind. We are to respond to that. And that response begins as an initial declaration of faith manifested by baptism, which we saw last week. Who was here? Eight guys. Fantastic. We saw that, but then it's a lifelong commitment, a daily commitment that we do time and time again. So we follow through on it. And the question is, have you responded to Jesus? Have you made your decision? Because if you haven't, I'd love to offer you the chance to do it today Come and talk to me about what that means. But if you're here now and you think, yeah, I made it a while back, are you still making it today? Are you still doing it in your life now? Is it something that's still a priority? Are you still getting up, leaving everything, and following him? Because that's what we are called to do, to respond to Jesus, to follow him. Second question, are you part of Jesus' community, the church? Like the disciples, part of God's family, they were called into this community, they were with Jesus, they were with one another, and we too, when we become Christians, we come into this fellowship, we come into fellowship with Jesus, that's the great news. and everyone else, which sometimes isn't such good news, is it? Let's be honest, let's be honest, but it is meant to be good news, because we're meant to grow, and become more like Jesus, and love, and serve, and care. ...for one another. And I know every family has oddballs in it. You're thinking about them now. That person who's coming to you, that's it. We still love them. If you're not thinking about anyone, it's you. You're the one that everyone else is thinking of. <laughs> that's just the way it works. But we are to love one another. And so I want to say to you guys here today, well done for being here. You have made the choice. You have today, you've made that choice. You've come to be part of God's family, to worship together, to hear his word proclaimed fantastically to you today. You've made that choice. That is amazing. But that is a choice we are to make repeatedly. Day after day, it becomes a daily choice that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be part, have fellowship with him, but also fellowship with other believers. I'm going to be part of his family, the church. That is what I'm going to do. And as Believers, that is our choice, and it might be this church family, it might be another church family somewhere else, it it doesn't matter, as long as you're part of a local community somewhere where you are being known, you are knowing others, you are worshipping God together, you are serving, you are outworking all those things that that we read about in our New Testament. Final question, are you passing on what you have heard to others? Are you passing on what you've heard to others? And so Jesus had a message that we're to hear and respond to. We've come into fellowship with his people and him. And then actually then we become the means to then carry that message elsewhere. And I don't know about you, but I am forever grateful for men and women of previous generations who've done that. So that we have the good news here in England. We're a long way from Israel, where it began, where Jesus first made this call on the dusty shores of Lake Galilee, which I'd never heard of, you know, until you read by, that. Like, where is this place? But men and women throughout the generations have continued to proclaim the good news of Jesus, so it has spread throughout the world. And so there are followers of Jesus kind of in every corner. Of our world, who are gathering on a Sunday morning, different time zones, proclaiming the word of God, worshipping him together. And I'm so grateful for men and women who've done that so that I can be here doing this. Because if they hadn't, I no one would have told me. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. And I'm, you know, I couldn't have worked it out on my own. And so we as the men and women of God now, we are to pass on what we have learned, what we've known. We're to pass on that the king has come His kingdom has come, and that you too can become part of it. You can respond to it. There is good news. We can enter it, not by our own merit, not by anything we've done, how smart we are, how wealthy we are, how Western we are, but because Jesus has made a way, and he's dealt with our sin, and he's dealt with our shame, and he calls us to ourselves. So whatever network you find yourself in, your school, your College, your workplace, your home, your friendship networks, that is where we are to live out what it means to be a Christian. We are to proclaim the good news. And so maybe I, I, I put a challenge before you this week. Who are you going to tell about Jesus? It could be about your faith, it could be about this church family, it could be about what you've been reading in your Bible, it could be someone you met at uh, work, it could be someone at home, it could be one of your neighbors. Where are you going to pass on the opportunity to help someone else have a relationship with Jesus, grow their relationship with Jesus? How are you going to live your life to show others that it's all about him? It's all about him. Let me, let me pray for us. Can the band come up? Can we stand? I just want to pray for us in this and then we're going to worship the Lord together. Maybe you just want to put this somewhere over here. Sorry. Yeah, we need to move that forward. Okay, maybe we just want to close your eyes, open your hands. This message doesn't come in isolation because last time we looked at Mark, it was all about the Holy Spirit, wasn't it? And the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us for life and service. Is the one who equips us for all we do, shapes us. So I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us now. That we may live lives that are all about Jesus. That we may live lives where we put our eyes on him and we prioritize him above the things of this world. I want to pray that God would fill you for acts of service. That what you've done today in making the decision to be here now would just continue. That you'll be blessed as a result of meeting together with God's people. But I'm also going to pray that God would empower you to pass on what you've learned. And for different people, it'd be different in different situations where you find yourself. Your friends at school might be different to your, if you're working, your colleagues. It might be different to your family. It might just be different. But there might, there'll be an opportunity because God is good. for You just to live it out and speak out something about what's happening with you what God's done in your life. So I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you bring the presence of Jesus amongst us. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that you came for us, that you called us to be with you, not based on anything we've done, because nothing we've done is worth it. Lord, we thank you that you died in our place for our sin. You rose victoriously from death. You ascended to heaven and sent the Spirit to be with your church. We thank you for the church We thank you it was your idea, your body, your people coming together to have fellowship with one another and fellowship with you. We thank you for that. And God, we ask you would make us faithful men and women to proclaim your message wherever we find ourselves, the places we walk, the friendships we have, the social circles we find ourselves in, our homes and our workplaces and our social groups. Lord God, give us grace there to pass on what we've learned. Because you are the best news ever. And God's people said.